Coming today on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zung. It was really after he passed that I kind of, you know, kind of fell into the void, so to speak, um, and actively pursued some really unique deployments really outside of my typical scope of practice um, in, in hopes to really put myself more in harm's way. God's honest truth. I, I just, I, I felt the, the pain and the weight of this loss and just being so lost now. So the big questions are these, how can we navigate and negotiate every situation in our lives, in our career, in our businesses, in our relationships, and even with ourselves for our own self-worth? In other words, what if you could win every time and have no losers? Let's face it, we're not negotiating just to buy a car or for a pay raise. We are negotiating for living in every aspect of our lives. How can we do that powerfully, successfully, and victoriously? Those are the questions, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Rebecca Zung, and welcome to the time where you negotiate your best life. Welcome to another episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. I'm Rebecca Zong. I'm so excited today to welcome Chase Tuning to this show. Wow, is he so amazing. I mean, this guy has such a complicated but incredible, incredible story for... I mean, really not that long on this planet. I mean, you would think that he was like 75 years old, but he's not. He's still in his 30s. But wow, has he lived an incredible life. He's a podcaster, uh, but he also is a health coach and does all kinds of other uh, incredible things to help people really live their best lives and push people into the next transition of their lives and I mean, his story is absolutely incredible. I, you know, I can read his bio, but you got to hear his story. He's he's a, an army veteran. He has had to learn how to walk twice. Uh, he is from Virginia, the same area of the world that I'm from. He has a master's in health, physical education, science. He, uh, I mean, really, I think it's just better if we just dive in and you hear his story. He lives in here in LA and welcome Chase. Rebecca, thank you so much for having me here. And it's always so interesting to me when I'm on the other side of the microphone as a guest and hearing somebody describe my life and say all the things that I, that I've done, the places that I've lived and, uh, titles that I've had and letters after my name and all that stuff. It, it really does kind of make you stop and think, you know, like, damn, life is life is so short, but yet I feel like it's been already an eternity. Um, how can one person go through so much, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think that we need to dive into... Yes, we grew up in the same area of the world. We're both from Virginia. I mean, you were mostly grew up in Roanoke, which I am familiar with because a lot of people went to school down there that I grew Are up with. Are most people familiar with Roanoke, um, though? <laughs> I don't know. Well, a lot of people went to school down oh, there. Yeah, Virginia Tech down there. Uh, Roanoke College is a very small college. And there's also um, a, a fairly prominent um, women's college called uh, um, Hollins University. Uh, that was pretty popular. Okay, yeah, in the I've region. heard of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're from Virginia, you've heard of all the schools. But I, I mostly grew up in McLean, Virginia, which is not really the South. 
um, oh, if oh, you're my, from my, McLean. My Virginia is going to have to come out and, and fight you on that. You know, I feel like McLean, not so much. Definitely that's Nova, Northern Virginia talking all day. But any Virginian will always say, you know, Virginia was, uh, you know, definitely. Oh, Virginia itself. South. Yeah, yeah. But not not Northern Virginia. Northern Virginia is it, it is, yeah. That DMV area, definitely. It's a, it's a different world. And living there for four-ish years before coming to LA, I can definitely attest, radically different world than growing up way Southwest in the middle of nowhere on about 200 acres in Roanoke, Virginia. Um, but then even bouncing back and forth quite a bit with Richmond when my parents split up. So I kind of got a little bit of the taste of the small town life and then the little bit bigger town life. And then, uh, which I'm sure we'll get into spending six years kind of all over the world, active duty army before coming back yes. to Virginia, ultimately yeah. DC. Yes. Yeah. Mm. So you um, really had a very interesting life with your, between your parents and your, um, your siblings and all of that. I wish I had more time because I listened to um, which I highly recommend, by the way, his brother is also a podcaster, his brother, Max, and there's a great interview of Chase by his brother, Max, which I do recommend you go listen to that whole interview. It's really, really so powerful because I don't have time to actually get into Chase's entire backstory. Oh, we'll have to carve out part two. Uh, which is we'll really, see if the people like it too. Yeah, we, we do yeah. part two because it's so fascinating. But... You grow up there, mostly Roanoke. You join the army, be mostly because I think, you know, there was a family history there with your dad. But then you end up getting injured in the army. Talk about that. You know, I think um, if anybody can relate to the location of uh, Roanoke, then odds are we might know each other. But other than that, you know, I think, Rebecca, my, my story, how... I think it could best connect with the listener is it's really not that different than a lot of other people. Um, maybe not your immediate circle, but I recognize my story, you know, small town guy wanting to leave the nest, so to speak, and kind of figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up and not having a whole lot of clarity other than some interests. You know, I, I took art in high school and my grandmother painted oil paintings. And so therefore I thought I was an artist and I was, Oh, maybe I'll explore graphic design, you know, just kind of grasping at straws. But then also this other straw of military service was in my family. And I think anybody who is in the military or has a family member can kind of relate, you know, once it's in your family for more than one generation, it's kind of a thing. And so in being a 17 year old, trying to figure out if I was good enough to go to college, what I wanted to be when I grew up at the time, or what maybe was going to make me the most proud or my family the most proud. And just honestly, what was the right thing to do, which who knows what the right thing to do at 17 is. Um, I felt more compelled to go down the military service route. And for a lot of different reasons, the legacy aspect was one, but, but also just my family, I, I recognized that we didn't really have uh, the financial capability at the time. And uh, I just didn't want it to be an extra burden on my family. So uh, I kind of just decided to go into the army. Uh, I signed up right away for six years active duty. This was 2003, um, pretty interesting time in the world and definitely in America, we were at war. This is the height of operation Iraqi freedom. And so I, I kind of knew what potentially could be asked of me. And I still kind of decided to move forward anyways. I really felt like I was going to be very safe and secure 
especially because I had a lot of guidance uh, and preparation by my father, who was active duty army himself. Um, he was a Persian Gulf vet. And so in pursuit of honestly, someone else's dream or, you know, kind of this mashup of I'm trying to build my own dream. I'm trying to build my own life coupled with what I think the world wants me to do coupled with what I think my family wants me to do. I was doing okay. And it was not safe and secure. Yeah, true. <laughs> it was not safe and secure. Um, I think arguably one of the most uh, interesting work environments in the world, especially at that time. Um, but my job was a little bit different. I worked in military intelligence and I was actually a Russian linguist, a Russian intelligence specialist. And so majority of my work was, you know, behind closed doors, behind walls, and then, you know, kind of calling in the information for everybody else. Um, and I just want to say for the people who listen to me on a regular basis, you know, PTSD is PTSD. And you ended up with some major PTSD. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. <laughs> not just from this, but some, a couple of other things in your life. Yeah, too. I mean, to be 17, 18, 19, 20, 21 years old, you know, kind of at the core of my military career, um, seeing from the inside what was going on in the world as a nation at war, talking to peers and colleagues and, you know, other service members um, leaving to go to war, coming back from war, um, and my portion of, you know, providing a lot of, like I said, you know, intelligence for a lot of global efforts. I heard and was witness to a lot of the real terrors of the world. And as a young person, you know, you're, I think, much more deeply imprinted on those matters. That coupled with just a few months after I enlisted, I found out that my father was diagnosed with a terminal illness, ALS, and had a very, very, very uh, severe case, uh, radically declined, very quickly declined, and about 18 months later passed away. And so I'm kind of... And and I want to just interject, mm. we didn't have a chance to get into your entire growing up, but your parents got divorced when you were like... About four, four or, or five, something. yeah. Yeah, and... and Right. And but at that time, your mother goes to live in Richmond. You're still in Roanoke. So you basically were raised by your dad full time. Yeah. So you were very close to your father. But, yeah, very, very good point. Close. Yeah. My dad was my idol, my hero, my dad, my best friend. Yeah. Um, yeah. He definitely was like my parent, my father figure, my biggest parental figure in a way your maternal figure and you know i mean he was the one who was there for you not just minimize or marginalize your mm. mom but this news when you're overseas is like oh my god it's, it's, it was a lot it was a lot and um you know I, I did have a great stepmother as well growing up who was pretty quick on the scene and my dad's mom and so i i i um, if they're listening by chance, I, you know, my grandmother's passed, but you know, I get, uh, I get not, not to minimal, not to minimalize, but this is a lot for you Absolutely. to take in, yeah. uh, you know, as an 18 year old kid or 19, whatever it was that you were by yourself, you're overseas. This is, that was your main parent growing up. That's the point that I wanted yeah, to make. Absolutely. And so no matter, no matter really where I was in the States or, you know, anything overseas, I, um, that was always kind of like gnawing at me uh, while he was sick after he passed. And it was really after he passed that I kind of, you know, kind of fell into the void, so to speak, um, and actively pursued some really unique deployments really outside of my typical scope of practice um, in, in hopes to 
really put myself more in harm's way. God's honest truth. I I just I, I felt the the pain and the weight of this loss and just being so lost now in this place of life. Because like I said, I was in pursuit of building this life and career because I thought it's what I was supposed to do. And I was trying to make my parents proud. And I also don't want to paint the picture that just because my family had this legacy option or legacy kind of criteria about the military service, it was never pressed on me. It was never like, Chase, you will do this because this is what we do. It was always an option, which I will, I, I love this kind of parenting style with my father, anything and everything I wanted to pursue, whether, you know, smoking cigarettes, drinking sex, you know, art school, whatever, it, it, everything was an option and consequences were then laid out to me. And so I never felt pressure. And so I say that because a lot of the pressure was kind of built up on my own of not having as much of a true crystal clear identity of who I am and who I wanted and what I believe to right to be right and wrong, but trying to, you know, be a young 20 something in the military, oldest brother, father just passed away, trying to carve out this identity for myself. Um, it was overwhelming. And so I just felt this, this overwhelming sense that it's never going to get better. Uh, it's never going to let up. And I honestly wouldn't care if I didn't wake up tomorrow. I was never mm. suicidal. I was never, you know, actively considering or wanted to take my own life, but I just felt what better way to go out than quite literally a blaze of glory, you know, a soldier's death. Um, my suffering mm. will be over. I won't have to come home to a family that doesn't have my father. And also at the time, because of how, you know, where we were as a country, um, the army's life insurance, the military's life insurance policy, I, I think literally doubled at that time. And so I, I recognized that my life is worth about $400,000. And that seems more mm. important than, than me going on with this pain, because I know then my family will be taken care of. And so in pursuit of, of trying to go down a very dark path to get rid of this pain, um, I wound up in actually pre-deployment training just in war games um, suffering the injuries that ultimately led to my career ending pretty abruptly. Um, long story short, I was leading an ambush on, it's called the opposing force. And just in yeah. pursuit of that, um, really nothing super wild and crazy. It was just days out in the desert somewhere of uh, central Texas and, um, you know, going off of a couple hours sleep and being in all my body armor and all my gear and just, you know, a sudden movement too fast in the wrong direction, my body was just like, nah, it snapped me up. I tore my hamstring, uh, suffered a lot of trauma and I kind of like torsion to my L4, L5 vertebrae. And so I was just leading this ambush and as fast as I was popping up, I was down on the ground. Next thing I knew I was being medevaced out, waking up in a hospital. I honestly thought I got shot because if you've ever suffered a hamstring injury, you know, you hear a pop, <laughs> you feel a pop and you're down on the ground pretty damn quickly. And so yeah. My life completely changed for at that moment, I, I felt the worst because I was like, I can't even escape this mental suffering. I am in the most dangerous job in the world and I can't even get out this way. Um, but in retrospect, which I'm sure we'll get into, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. And I can say this now, and it's very great timing. We're talking here today, Rebecca, because two days ago was the 18 year memorial of my father's passing. 18 yeah, years. I heard. I, I mean, I remember hearing so, that in, when I listened to the interview. So that coupled with this you ended trauma up, were the two most detrimental traumatic events in my life. But now I'm on the other side of them. And I can say they're the greatest gifts that I've ever received. 
Well, but you ended up having to have reconstructive hip surgery. Yeah. Yeah. Bilateral femoral reconstruction. So um, the injuries were so significant and the recovery was just proving not basically not happening. Uh, and truth, I was pushing rehab and recoveries too soon, um, wanting to get back on the possibility of being deployed um, that I wound up just like making matters worse. And so then uh, basically from like the top of my quad to the top of my glute on both sides, they surgically dislocated, removed my femur, reshaped them, put it back in. I've got two rods in both, both femur heads. Um, oh so for about God. the last year and a half of my six year military career, I was pulled from my unit, put into a medical hold unit. And my only job was to just have surgeries, be in the hospital, go home, be on bed rest. And then, you know, two, three times a week, I would have somebody come pick me up to take me to physical therapy, pool therapy. Um, and I would, I had to learn how to walk again twice in that whole experience. You know, they did one hip at a time. Uh, and so they would break me down once I could walk again, you know, about eight months later, they would go back and do it all over. And then I was ultimately deemed non-deployable because even though I was, you know, air quote here, a real boy again, up, upright and walking, although with assistance, um, I was deemed non-deployable. And once you're non-deployable in the military, um, they have no use for you. So I was medically retired at about 24. Coming up, more on Negotiate Your Best Life with Rebecca Zone. Yes, but I bet the but is you. And I bet the but is because we haven't directed that attention and work on our own selves and letting go of that part of ourselves. Are you struggling with how to negotiate and win? Maybe you're dealing with a personality that's particularly challenging, like a narcissist or other high conflict personality, and you're feeling powerless. Make sure to download my free Win My Negotiation cheat sheet at www.winmynegotiation.com. Take a listen to our archive where you can listen to more episodes that show you the path to how to negotiate your best life. And I actually read narcissism very differently than it actually is. I thought that it was something that was, you know, that could be, it just needed love. You know, everyone just needs love and that these personality disorders and things like that, I thought that it was just something that could be worked with and that you could prove to somebody your value, your worth, your consistency, your reliability. And now we return to today's show. At 24 years old, not no use for yeah. you. Send you home. Yeah. They're like you're broken. We've done as much as we can for you. Um, and you know, I, I hope it's changed now because I really do feel like at the time I could have still have been of service. I had the highest level security clearance. I know the Uncle Sam poured a lot of money into me and a lot of time and training and resources. Um, but ultimately it comes down to if you can do your job, great. But if we need to call on you to go somewhere in the world and to take care of the bad guys, if you can't do that and uphold certain physical standards, then you're a liability, which is so true. I would never want me to be the reason why somebody else gets injured or worse, you know, is even killed. But I, I felt like there could have been some other use for me because I had so latched onto this idea of doing the typical military career, serving 20 years, which is really wild timing as well, because 
I would literally would have just retired. I just turned 37. I would have retired from that first phase of my life, the big plan for my life, and now in phase two. But you know, what do they say? Man laughs and or man plans and God laughs, kind of thing. God laughs. Yeah. So you get home and you have no identity, right? And you you're now having to reinvent yourself. Right. And one of the things that I love is that the name of your podcast is Ever Forward. Talk about why you named it that. Well, I don't know if um if people are going to see this video, but if you can see, I'm kind of pointing the top corner here. There are two picture frames on the back wall. And what those are, are two letters, some of the last letters, if not, I think the last letters that I received in basic training, basic combat training from my father before he completely lost the ability to, to write. Um, mm. And in that he signs off in a way that I'd seen him sign off many, many times before in two words that I've heard him say my entire life, ever forward. And it's a really, really cool phrase because him and I have a unique bond over it because not only is it just something that a father says to his son, or to his family as like, a, it's our family mantra, right? It's what we believe. It's what we do. You know, we keep moving forward there. There's you know, no stopping us, right? It, it actually is pretty cool because it actually has a military tie and it goes way, way back to really the origins of our country. Every unit you're in, at least in the army, has like a unit insignia, a creed, a saying. And before he went active duty with 101st Airborne, he was National Guard. So basically before full-time military, he was part-time military. And his National Guard unit back in Roanoke, Virginia, was with 116th Infantry Regiment, and their creed was ever forward. And that goes way, way back to this, this group of militiamen in Revolutionary War period uh, of America before we even had an army, before we were even technically a country. So there's a lot of history to it. And so he picked it up from his time in service, brought it home quite literally, and kind of instilled it in us. And you think it's just one of those things, like I said, your parents says, but I saw him live it. And I saw him be it until his last breath. If anyone's familiar with ALS, it's, I think, one of the most cruel diseases um, in, in history. Um, but to witness somebody just become a prisoner in their own body, of what we know of it, it doesn't affect the mind. It's still, you know, the person is still in there, but they become trapped in their body. The body just eats itself alive, basically. You atrophy away until you're just nothing. I, I saw my father go from like a... 210, 220 pound guy, a really big, rough and tough, burly former infantry guy to, um, you know, maybe, maybe like 110, 120 pounds, something like that. Um, in a matter of about 15, 18 months and just, you know, become dependent upon everybody else for everything else. Not once did he ever, that I saw, or I heard complain, not once did he ever want any of this to be a burden and anyone else's actually was his choice to go into, uh, hospice care in the veterans hospital months sooner than my stepmom wanted to because he wanted to take that burden off and even the last 36 48 hours he was alive and luckily I, I got to be home on emergency leave to be with him for his last moments um well not literally his last moments but more or less he you could just see in his eyes that he was at such peace and that he had accepted this which i i was always blown away and almost even mad i was like how can you be okay with this but living a life ever forward was something that was just so woven in him that whether he believed it truly or not, 
he felt compelled enough to continue to be the example for our family and for me and for everyone around him. I, I'm sure in his own way, he had some kind of inner turmoil going, or maybe he processed it quickly than I ever could, but that's ever forward. And so it was a phrase of his that has a lot of really cool history, but it was something that I heard him say, but I watched him be for many, many years. And finally, about 12 years after his passing, when I got up the courage when I was finally just so distraught in my own life and suffering from PTSD from, from this, um, and turned and faced this death and this loss. So many different yeah. things from his, yeah. your father, from your, your, the military yeah. stuff. Un undiagnosed at that time, you know, I, but I, you know, was, you know, swerving off the road. I was blacking out. I was having just these worst panic attacks. I was, it was diminishing my relationships. Uh, I, my mental health was so unchecked. Um, that it was, you know, seemingly outside looking in, everything was great, but just I was falling apart. And the people closest to me could tell because those relationships also began to fall apart. Um, and so, yeah, I, I decided to just really latch onto it. And instead of running anymore from this memory um, and these words that would make me so sad and just send me spiraling in, in, in hate and in, in anguish, and depression and anxiety, um, I made the choice to just like, screw it, I'm gonna grab hold of this and just run with it and made Ever Forward kind of just my way of life, turned it into a thing, you know, with the podcast Ever Forward Radio and, um, you know, and a lot of kudos to my brother for kind of doing that a little bit sooner with the introduction of Ever Forward Apparel and kind of just making our family mantra introducing it to the world in some really cool ways. Um, and so that's what Ever Forward is. It, it's um, started with started with a group of militiamen, found its way in some paper here to a young soldier's basic combat training letters. Um, I have it tattooed on my arm and now it's just my entire way of being. Talk about your philosophy about identity and mourning old identities. This is something, again, I, I don't think I'm super unique here, but I'm sure anyone listening can relate to. It's like once you're on the other side of a major life event, especially one that we deem bad or sad or a loss or whatever, um, traumatic, big T, little t, we, we kind of develop these levels of awareness and go, oh, yeah, of course. Like if I would have known this, this would have helped or this is really kind of the transformation that happened. Um, but I do think a lot of us, don't grab hold of this whole concept of identity loss and grieving that identity loss um, in major life transitions. Whether we're fresh out of a breakup, lost a job, transitioning out of a job, moving, feeling some kind of way with our friends and family, uh, or like, you know, in, in my case, literally lost my best friend, the death of my father, um, and then even subsequently after that, two of my closest friends, like brothers of mine that I served with, um, took their own lives after transitioning out of the military. Uh. And so I just had, you know, I had a lot that I could have just stayed stuck with. And the real way that I found to move forward out of that and, and not to just like abandon it and neglect it and forget it. I, I don't deem that as true healing or moving on. I view that as kind of, you know, some negligence. Uh, or healing bypass, if you will, uh, spiritual bypass. And, and so I recognize that 
I want to move on and I, I know that I can. What is what am I missing? What am I not doing? And it, it was the me aspect. I was so focused on trying to work on and heal the thing that happened. I wasn't fully aware of the thing that happened inside me. That version of me needs to kind of like stay back there. And it did. You know, there's life as a son, there's life with your father. And if he passes away, then there's life after. I hadn't yet separated the version of me that was now present after losing my father. I was stuck in trying to just still be the chase that had a dad that, you know, could just pick up the phone, that could do all these things. And once I kind of wrapped my head around or recognized really what I was going through was grieving the loss of me as well, grieving the loss of that version of Chase um, in the death of my father, as I was, you know, getting out and, you know, then becoming a civilian again and letting needing to let go of that soldier identity, um, then letting go, you know, getting transitioning out of school to then be in corporate America, working in the air quote real world uh, and just really kind of figuring out what that is. Um, and even through, you know, relationship breakups and things like that, just, you know, staying so stuck on the version of me that was in that relationship and not letting that go or just, you know, bearing that as well. Now, there's so much just wrapped up in identity. And um, once I really began to kind of like turn and face that part of me that also was stuck back there, then I think I was really able to finally move forward. Um, and it's a weird thing to say, like, you need to grieve yourself. Like, well, I'm still here. If I'm talking about me and wanting to move forward, how, why do I need to grieve myself? I'm still upright and mobile and kicking it. Um, but we're not, you know, we shed these layers of ourselves all the time. I'd be willing to bet we are not the same person we were yesterday. You know, in, in a way we could find something to, to mourn or to, you know, recognize that layer of me is gone. And so I, I think one of the best ways I have found to move on in a lot of ways in life and to, to move forward, to move ever forward, uh, is to not only recognize and work through what I need to for that actual event, but then recognize that, you know, there's a part of me that has grown because of it. There's a part of me that is here that wasn't there before. And there's a part of me that isn't here now that was there before. And um, it's a really unique concept, but one that has really helped me immensely. I think it's so profound. It's so profound, you, you know, because I think people think, oh, I'm mourning the loss of, you know, this job or that person or, you know, that thing. They don't think about the fact that they're mourning a version of themselves or that identity, you know, and it's so profound that the way that you're putting it, but it's so true. It's so if we true. can wrap our heads around that or even just entertain the idea, uh, it's not a really easy thing to do. And, and I think at least in the beginning, it causes more questions maybe than answers. But if we just think about, I'm sure we all can, if we take it just a second and think about what is the thing that I'm really trying to move forward with? Um, I'm, I'm doing so well, but I'm just stuck. You know, why can't, why can't I get over it? Why can't I let go of this past relationship? Why can't I let go of the idea that I'm not who I used to be? I can't lift the same amount of weight due to maybe age or injury or whatever, or I, I don't look the same way, or I don't feel the same way, or I, I don't make as much money, or I'm not as happy. Insert whatever the thing is here for you. Have you done the work necessary to process that and to work through it? 
Okay, cool. I hope so. If not, here's your opportunity. But beyond that, if you're still feeling like, yes, but I bet the but is you. And I bet the but is Mm -hmm. because we haven't directed that attention and work on our own selves and letting go of that part of ourselves. I, I think relationships are probably one of the easiest examples here. How many of us go into a relationship, we date a new guy, new girl, whatever, and we're just still kind of stuck on our ex, you know, whether that's, you know, we're bringing up or we're looking, we're nitpicking in certain things, or we're just still thinking about them. And we think that it's because I just haven't gotten over them. I have, there hasn't been enough time. I haven't done enough work, whatever. I would challenge you to really think about, well, what have you done to, you know, get over the breakup with yourself in that relationship? It's almost like taking yourself as a third party. There's you and this other person, remove yourself from the self, look objectively, and then mourn the loss of those two people. But then also, or shouldn't say, you know, they're still alive, but like, you know, there's a different perspective to be had when you can look at yourself as a third party looking into that relationship and especially yourself. Um, The detachment Mm -hmm. from self will serve us in a lot of other ways, but especially when trying to just finally move on. If it's like, yes, but if you're still feeling stuck, have you done that with yourself and for yourself yet? That's my question. Yeah. And we don't have a whole lot of time left, but um, we're kind of really out of time. But I just want to touch on very briefly some of the ways that you've been able to um, help yourself move on and help yourself heal. If you want to just touch on that very briefly. Yeah, I'll say first and foremost, what helped me the most years ago was I, I let someone in. I let the right person in. That person for me was my then girlfriend, now wife. Um, and it's a lot of times easier said than done um, because that's where we're most scared, where we're most vulnerable, where maybe we don't feel like we have anyone that we can trust or love enough or trust and loves often loves us enough to receive that in the way that we're still going to feel safe and secure. Um, but I promise you, you do have at least one person in your life, or if you're wanting to make work and progress in this area, work towards developing and nurturing a relationship with someone. You could even be that someone. Get a pen and paper, journal, voice memo, like just get it out. Find the right person, let the right person in. Um, beyond that, getting consistent professional mental health help has really been my saving grace. Um, I've done all the things, right? You know, I've journaled, I've listened to all the podcasts, read all the self-help books. Uh, I've done years and years and years of self-help work, you know, but also letting the right person in. Um, but it wasn't really until I found consistent quality mental health help um, that I was able to really, really shed those layers and really, really move forward. And specifically for me, that came um, in a very radical psychotherapy experience called ketamine-assisted psychotherapy. Uh, about a year and a half ago, um, undergoing traditional psychotherapy coupled with ketamine therapy, um, multiple sessions. And I, in the first one, two sessions, I really got, I'd say years of years of work because it really does do that. Like I was talking earlier, it allows detachment of the self, it allows detachment of the self to really look at my life and my experiences. And I went in with the intention to finally work through my PTSD because it had been 16, 17 years at that time. And I was still stuck. Um, I wanted to get into, which is weird to say out loud, I wanted to get over it. I wanted to just like chase your dad passed away, like move on. He wants you to move on. But I I, I didn't know how there was still some part of me that was latching on. (laughs) 
there was no latching on after that. So that was um, really the thing that catapulted me, moved me forward the most and gave me personally my experience, years and years of therapy in about you know an hour experience um, and really gave me closure and acceptance in a big, big way around the death of my father. Mm-hmm. I and I know a lot of people that have um used that and and have found great success with it as well. And and I do want to say, you know, I'm not here condoning or saying everybody should go out and do that. I I'm saying that for for some people it's been it's been uh definitely helpful and successful. And the beauty here in the United States um, at least, you know, it's a federally legal treatment, federally legal course of action. Um they have a lot of great services out there now where you can do this type of therapy, you know, at home via telehealth, but my personal kind of, I've done, I've done them all, but I can tell you me personally, especially at that level of emotional um, pain that I was in again, going in with diagnosed, finally PTSD. Um, I, I, I can't imagine my life without that experience. Now, without those experiences, um, truly getting closure around the death of my father, I can tell you now, after going through many experiences over the past year and a half, I am in acceptance of grief. Um, this is the first time ever I've been able to hold conversation about this and just completely not even get a tear in my eye. Not 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 that I'm disregarding mm-hmm. those emotions. I know the pain is still there mm-hmm. and I know what I went through, but I can finally separate then from here and now. And that was impossible yeah. for me before. Right. So, you know, I, I wanted you to share that experience and share how you've been able to move through your PTSD, move through your grief, move through your trauma, because I know that for the people who listen to me, the people in my community who are dealing with a lot of trauma in relationships, whether it's business, whether it's personal, they're dealing with transition. I know that listening to you, listening to your story will be immensely helpful for them. And to know you're here, you're on the other side. How are you feeling today? Fantastic. Um, I, I'm, I'm at peace. I actually had this weekend I shared earlier was the 18-year memorial or two days ago from our recording. This was the 18-year memorial of my father's passing. He died January 22nd, 2005. And I went in this weekend for my most intense, uh, my highest dose ketamine therapy session. And at the end of it, I was even sharing with my wife after um, just peace. I am finally Mm. at peace. And, And I think whether you have lost a loved one or you've been through a traumatic injury like myself or just life, (laughs) life is not easy for any of us these days. You know, your story is your story and your trauma is your trauma. But I can tell you if, if you've been doing the work and you're feeling there's still just something holding you down and you're still stuck and it's your choice now to face that and to move forward, I can tell you no matter which protocol you choose and no matter what modality you go down, if you make that commitment to yourself with time and work, there is peace waiting for you. I I believe that time heals all wounds, but that does not exclude us from doing the work alongside of time. And peace is where I'm at. And that is what I hope for everybody else. Mm, ah, So beautiful. And I love the work that you're doing. I love the work that you're doing in the world. 
Where can people find you? Where can people go follow you? Yeah, so pretty much on Instagram is where I'm sharing, um, you know, my background is health and wellness. And that's what I did after the military and, you know, all the things you were sharing with all the letters and whatnot. Um, but, you know, so that's kind of my daily journal, my live journal of health, wellness, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual well-being um, at Chase underscore tuning. Uh, also, my podcast, Ever Forward Radio, we do two episodes a week. Um, we're now last week was uh, six years. So six years of content, uh, almost 700 episodes for you to go dive into anything and everything I say that helps you live a life ever forward, bringing awareness into your you know fitness, nutrition, mental health, you know, entrepreneurship, a little bit of military with my background as well. But if living a life ever forward rings a bell for you, or uh, gets you curious, and you know, anything I've talked about kind of sounds on brand for what you want for your life. That's what you can expect over on Everford Radio. Yeah, I'm going to be on it, actually. She, she is. Yeah, very soon. Very soon. Yeah. So uh, go check him out. Follow him. Subscribe to his podcast. And make sure that you go and um, give him a, uh, a like on Instagram as well. Because he is really, really... Uh, absolutely incredible as you can tell <laughs> thank you, uh, after listening yeah. to him. So thank you, Chase, for taking the time to be here today and uh, continue to live your life ever forward. This is absolutely fantastic. My pleasure. My pleasure. And if I could say one last thing that I think has been a, an incredible new mantra of mine the last couple of years in my healing journey and for anyone's healing journey, ever forward is absolutely with me and it's never going to go anywhere. But um, I'll say this to the listener, you are exactly where you are supposed to be. And leaning into that mm. might be confusing at first. It might be painful. You might not want to be where you are. But if we choose to accept that and choose that that is our truth, because it is wherever you are right now is where you are. But if you choose to kind of take that power back and like, I am here for a reason, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be, we can find a next step, I promise you. So that's kind of the latest mantra that I'm grabbing hold of and leaning into and, and sharing with everybody. Mm, love that. Yeah. Everything's for a reason, right? Everything happens for sure. Um, my, my belief, my choice is that uh, we get to make reason out of it. Mm, love it. Thank you so much. This was fantastic. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. I'm Rebecca Zung. Tune in next week for another edition of Negotiate Your Best Life. Remember, if you want more ways to slay and you want more ways to be supported, you can always join my membership at joinslay.com forward slash slay. You can always subscribe to my YouTube channel and you can always grab my free Crush My Negotiation prep worksheet at winmynegotiation.com. Remember that today is a great day to start negotiating your best life. And I will definitely catch you in the next episode of Negotiate Your Best Life. Thanks so much for listening. Mm -hmm.